You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. Oh, me lucky charms! TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. With a bit of the green we're wearing. No, wait a minute. I forgot to put on my green. green? Wardrobe change. Hold on, folks. We'll be right back. In the meantime, (laughs) let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board, our producer. How are you doing today, Benny? Doing very well and back at you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm glad you're in Florida because I don't know if I want to pinch you right now. Okay. Uh, Benny, do you have any Irish in your chart? I have no idea. You have no idea. You've never looked into your uh, ancient history of uh, your family. Well, not that far back. Um, I am adopted, so I haven't really opened that up yet. So Uh, I will say yes, though. I'm feeling it. You know, (laughs) if you feel it. You're Irish today. There you That's go. It. We were watching on the Weather Channel the dying of the Chicago River Green today. <gasps> oh my God, <laughs> green! <laughs> they Extra do that. Greens. Yeah, they do that every year, right? Every do you know how much they put in there? Year. Every year, the river hmm. goes bright, bright, bright green. <laughs> and also uh, on the Weather Channel, one of my favorite stations, we were watching the celebrations over in Ireland. We said to ourselves, Gary and I, who could we have on on St. Patty's Day who's Irish? And who do you think we thought of? Bridget. (laughs) Bridget Dangle Gaspard. uh, St. Bridget, we like to call her, the goddess of healing and poetry. And so we are having her back. This is the fourth time in four years, and we have a great, great subject to discuss. Oh, absolutely. Why don't you do the mad props? And here? Benny, you get to be Irish for take given the fact that the big dance is on the NC2A men's national oh, basketball yeah, yeah, tournament, yeah. there for Benny to have been adopted just means that he used nature's transfer portal. Yes, I did. <laughs> Beautiful. And and how well did that work out for you? Excellent. Yeah. That is great. And by the way, congratulations to the Princeton Tigers. And I, the Northwestern Wildcats. Well, you got to throw them in too. Yes, that's a Northwestern. Excellent team there fielding. Princeton, I doubt too many people outside of New Jersey had them in their uh, bracket there. And lo and behold, they did it again. Arizona Wildcats, a, a, a tear or two being shed for them. Only team, the University of Arizona, the only team in NC2A history to twice lose to a 15 seed. I'm going to say congratulations to them. All right. Everybody Consolation All right. prize. We have some <laughs> lovely parting gifts for you. Yeah, exactly. And I understand, according to uh, the lore on TV, that about 85% of all brackets are now busted. Oh, yeah. Because Arizona <laughs> didn't get past the first round. That's we didn't best. even get to the round of 32, <laughs> and we're the, busting damn near best. everybody. <laughs> Incredible. Well, back to our honored guest of the hour yes. with a touch of the Irish, Bridget Dengel Gaspard, graduated from Columbia University, founded the New York Voice Dialogue Institute, and has led workshops for Omega Institute, New York Open Center, and many other organizations. As a former performer and comic, she specializes in overcoming creativity blocks. 
She lives in New York City. Bridget Dengel Gaspard, welcome back, my dear. We're so happy to see and hear you again. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm just going to have to make a confession straight from the start. I don't know how to do an Irish accent. I can do all kinds of accents, but I have some block. So please don't ask me to. I could do a bad one, but <laughs> I have to just start with that one. But like yes, many. I'm Irish through and through yeah. on my mother's side. Very good. You know, Very I've good. it's it's great that you mentioned that, Bridget, because I've talked to over the years to any number of people from Ireland. And they come over to the States and they must leave the, the traditional accent behind because when I talk to them, they'll sound more like, and so we could get those tickets for you at a discount if you want. They don't say, Faith and Begara, you know, just because you're from Ireland does not obligate you to talk like a leprechaun. <laughs> Yes, but there is a part of me that's like, what's wrong with you that you can't talk like a leprechaun? Because that's my heritage. <laughs> yes. And and th that will be one of those unpracticed selves that you have, that's Bridget. Right. Unpracticed right. selves. Gary and I, I were talking that. unpracticed selves. And for those of you joining us today, <clears throat> the reason that we have Bridget back is her topic is eternal and universal. And we just like to periodically talk about this particular topic. The title of Bridget's book is The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. I find this topic about as fascinating as any that we have ever talked about. And that is the idea that we are not just a single one unit monochromatic person, but we have not only our our primary personalities, but we have lots and lots of personalities inside of us. And it does not mean that we are crazy. It means that we have lots of selves. And so uh, just to bring everybody up to speed, uh, why don't you just say a little bit about that and then we can launch into uh we can go deeper i love it yeah it's a healthy personality that consists of many selves and for some reason society had a problem with that for a while but i do think it's in a renaissance it's everywhere and the more mainstream that idea is the better because it's healthy oh my you know my inner procrastinator took over is now people say naturally or I had to get my superhero together and we went through the day and got everything done. And this idea that we are have different energies, all of these selves live in our bodies. And so they, they sometimes speak differently. They have different memories. And you don't want to bring your inner child to the corporate negotiation, which so many people do. And it's like, no, you brought the wrong part of yourself. And to me, wellness is being able to bring the right part of yourself to the right situation. And that goes back to another ancient truth, know thyself, but really it's know thyselves in terms of how I think. And um, I stumbled upon it just Again, synchronicity, if we're talking about the magic of the Irish, the luck of the Irish is I found this technique, voice dialogue, which is a technique where you talk to different parts of yourself and you listen. You don't try to change them. They each have wisdom. And then the Hal and Sidra Stone, who created it, became my mentors. And actually, since I last saw you two talking about bringing ancient traditions into modern times, I ended up 
doing the audio book for Sidra and Hal Stone. So their Ooh. original book, their seminal book, Embracing Ourselves, which came out in the 80s, can now be listened to because the vast majority of people now listen to their books. So I just want to say that. So anyone interested in like, okay, what is this? You cannot have it on audiobook as about a, of about a month ago. So that's that was a lot of fun to be the voice for my mentor's seminal book. It feels like this year has been a lot of coming full circle in really meaningful ways. One of the words I used um, a moment ago was the word unpracticed because um, I, I pointed out to Gary that um, there have been a couple of occasions where he has acted in a way which is unlike his usual self. And yet he did what he did. And I said, that is only your unpracticed self. That in this idea of having many selves, I think we can get frustrated if we always respond in the same way. If our response is always, um, I hate you, stop doing that. Or if our response is, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, depending on which of these personalities is um, developed and, and you talk about personalities being developed early in life, and those are the go-tos. But if you if you allow another personality to come out, it doesn't mean they're invalid or it's not you. It is you. It's a you that you haven't used very much. Does that make sense, Bridget? Yes, I love exactly how you put that. And then there's an awkwardness to anything new. So the yes. unpracticed self, we might confuse our awkwardness with like, oh, I guess this is wrong or bad or the wrong choice. When in fact... Mm -hmm. It's new. And frankly, it's a little boring if you just constantly always start and stop with the same selves. So I like unpracticed selves because it, it, it stirs thing up, things up in a good way, ideally, but even though it can sometimes be uncomfortable. Uh, can yeah, you give me an example yes. of the unpracticed Please. self? And you don't have to, but because I have a few distinctions I'd like to add, but I want to hear like, what's a if Gary allows, that will be unpracticed. I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, one of the things that I said, Gary doesn't care if the bet is made or not. This ah. is not part of who he is. And so every morning, if I'm looking at an unmade bed, I'm, I, there is a part of me that just kind of rolls my eyes up to the ceiling and kind of groans. And it's like, okay. And so I make the bed every day because this is part of who I am. I like to be go in and out of a bedroom with a made bed. And I will say most of the time, Gary just jumps up and helps me make it. And we do it in like 10 or 20 seconds. I mean, we just pull the covers up, you know, put the sheets uh, over the quilt, straighten out the pillows and we're done. This is not a long process. But it's something that I like to do and he could care less about. So he does that for me. Now, here's the unpracticed Gary. The unpracticed Gary is sometimes he will make the bed without me and not even tell me. And all of a sudden, I've got a cup of coffee. I walk to the bedroom and I look at the bed and I go, oh, my God, the bed is made. And I didn't make it. 
And so I said to I said to him, that's like one of your unpracticed selves. But you do that sometimes. And when he does it, I am so thrilled, surprised, and I don't have to do it. It's one more thing I don't have to do. And I just love that. I was just going to use that word. It's such a loving gesture. So Gary, can I ask like, like when that self comes out, like, how are you feeling? Like, How do I feel about it? Right now, I well, feel like I'm undergoing vivisection. <laughs> this is, but yeah, I I definitely take Suzanne's point. There are times when I'll see an unmade bed there, and we have a couple of bedrooms. We we call our second bedroom, which sometimes just feels cooler in summertime and a bit warmer in wintertime, and we call it the hotel room. Oh, so when love it. you know, and I'll see that it's the bed's unmade, and I will just make it because it's there. I'm there. Why not just go ahead and do it? It's good when you do something and your mate doesn't have to say beforehand, gee, the bed's unmade again. Can you help me with that? Or would you mind doing that? I got a basket full of laundry here. And what am I going to do? So it's good for the relationship. It's good for orderly living. And it just makes life more pleasant in one of those ways that don't ask much of you, just a bit of attention, something practical, rather than letting it go. In life, I think there's too much letting it go because it just seems like too much trouble to people. Yes. And then would uh, would tell me if you disagree, but I would also say that's an act of love, noticing through your partner's eyes because you don't care. And it's okay to not care. Partners have to understand that it's not part of the deal that both partners care about the same things all the time. But what you care about is your partner. So that part of you that's like, you know, I could do it. It doesn't cost much. I would say is actually also an act of love. Do you experience it that way as well? In addition to everything you said. Do I experience it that way? Oh, no, I mean, Gary. Gary. Yeah, because he doesn't care. Right. And and that's okay to not care. But you care about Suzanne. Yes, I do. And she will do little things for me. I don't have to. I mean, she'll go to the store and she will see something on sale that she knows I like, some sort of treat. And she just picks it up. She doesn't call me up and ask me if I want it. She can safely presume that if it tasted good to me last week, it probably <laughs> does this week. And she will just do that as a nice thing. So I thought, so I can do something nice for her. It isn't going to kill me. I'll, I'll tell you what's it. funny because I was gonna I was gonna use that as another example, but I'll tell you what's funny that I add to that. I'll I'll say to Gary, "You want to go to the store with me?" And he goes, "No, no, I'm reading or I'm busy or I'm doing something." I say, "Okay, that's fine." So I'll go to the store, and if he doesn't go with me, I'll pick up most of the time. I will pick up something just for him, and I'll bring it back and I'll say, "Here, this is what I brought you because you didn't go to the store with me." <laughs> oh. I love it. I could get through the shopping faster if I know he's not with both hands trying to put things into the cart. <laughs> so, uh, so much for blissful domesticity. Yeah. And that's the domestic Enough tranquility. Enough about us. Enough about us. What's your opinion of us, Bridget? No, what we want. <laughs> What I would like to ask you, and this is something I have we talked before on here, and I didn't think to ask it, but I will now. How do you coach people to listen as well as speak, particularly if they're involved in some sort of negotiation or other transaction? 
Because what I have discovered sometimes to my chagrin is that people can mask their intentions deliberately by the use of their voice. They don't want you, for example, to know how much they're willing to pay for what you are selling. In their minds, they have a fixed walkaway point, but they don't want you to know what that is. And so they'll speak in a certain way that seemingly adds to the flow of the conversation or the negotiation, but they're keeping in the back of their mind that there are things they simply don't want you to know. I love this. So we're going to assume that it's like not a partnership, but you're going maybe to buy a car, right? Right. So part of what the the thing to look at is the roles, which is different than selves. The way I look at selves, you can have a role like car salesperson and car potential car purchaser, but it could be different selves in those roles. So, you know, the car the car salesperson could be hard and fast and tech, uh, maybe tech heavy, and it's got 77 PDUs of the FQCQ and want to impress you that way. And, and you're right, the, then the purchaser says, okay, I really love this car, but I can't pay more than X, and I'm going to hide it. So that would be a self, like, keep it close to the vest self, let's see how it goes. So don't forget the roles, because in that particular case, one person wants the other to buy and to pay as much as possible for it. And the other person really does want to buy, let's just say they're not even ambivalent, but they do love the car, but they want to, it's their job to pay as little as possible. So in some level, if you align that these are naturally opposite uh, desires, but really both people want the other to be happy. If it's a healthy salesperson, like, oh, good, I got, I, I didn't feel ripped off. You don't want the person to feel ripped off. So even if they buy that car and find out later that they spent more than everybody else, they're never going to go to that dealership again. They're going to, the cost will be long-term, probably not worth the extra $8,000. So kind of being aware when this person might seem um, like uh, hiding or something like that, you just go back to what roles we're playing. And that often gives you compassion for your parts. Then like, for example, if it's me, I don't, I'm not going to tell you what my bottom line is because it's none of your business to the stranger, but I want, I want information. So if I'm asking you about, um, I don't know, uh, how many miles per gallon, I want to be listened to. And so the, the salesperson, I would say, you've got to really develop your listener. So if the non-techie person doesn't care about how many PDQ 17 threes plus random road test, blah, blahs, don't go there. Listen. And, and if, if, if it's like, oh, you want to make sure you're safe for your family and you're hoping to have a third child and um, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I would say, what does the role need? And if, and often salespeople are so nervous about their quota, understandably, again, with compassion, they're not listening. And so I would say if there was one thing, listen to see what's needed. What part of you is connecting on a human? Oh, you're worried about your family's safety. That's actually a value probably most of us have. We can meet on that. Um, And I think especially in today's very turbulent times where it does feel like people don't have each other's backs, don't have this human connection. um, I would argue that that's that's more... um, like sales that are going to last over a lifetime and to take the longer view and listen. 
but not expect people to reveal themselves because especially in a thing like that, why should the, the, the customer tell you? That's bad negotiation. But what can you connect on is good negotiation. And I think early in the conversation is better than either later or worse, not at all, to let someone know that you are firm in your commitment to a price, whether you're the seller or the buyer, yeah. and the terms and conditions, but at the same time to acknowledge through the power of your own voice that you are dealing with another human being. They have yes. their own legitimate aspirations. They have feelings just like you. And maybe that will keep people out of these hyper competitive situations where somebody says, you know, that's it. That's how I feel. This car is worth it. This is what it's going for. That's what it's going to sell for. Take it or leave it. That's a great way to kill not just a conversation, but any hope of a good transaction between people, particularly if you're going to a place where maybe you've bought a car before or a family member or friend has bought a car. If you if you're on, you know, search and destroy scorched earth in your speech, in your negotiating strategy, you are going to virtually guarantee that they won't do business with you again. And they'll tell their friends and family and other associates how rotten they were treated. It's bad for business. And because it's bad for business, by definition, it's unnecessary to use that approach. Exactly. And I think this is a sign of changing times, like in the olden days, whenever that was, it's like, no, you have to bring your warrior as the salesperson. And now we're like, don't necessarily bring your warrior zero sum game. That's not how it operates. You're making me think of a book that uh, a couple of Harvard people put out years and years ago, which I love getting to yes. And their whole <laughs> thing is just what you said. Let we're huge. Yes, I think thumbs up. Gary, do you know the book, it seems, or both of you know the book? I own the book. I bought very recently the six CD audio book, and it is queued up in my Sony machine right now. There <laughs> so you what were you going to say, Bridget? Well, and one of the principles, and I'm, <laughs> right. I'm grateful to you for bringing this up, Bridget, because one of the, just one, there are many, but just one of the principles they stress is the value of being hard on the problem, but soft on the people. Yes, I'm getting chills, to be honest. Exactly. And see, again, in the old days, whatever those are, but maybe a more traditional approach, it was considered weakness if you were, say, soft on the person. And that's just an absolute misinterpretation. And I remember reading the book years ago, just a short version where I guess these people really ripped off um, these people who did uh, made a beautiful carpet because the purchaser knew that that country's uh, currency was going to really drop and change. And so they bought in the old currency, knowing that it was going to literally going to be worthless in two days. And that I remember the book highlighted, this is not a success. You just a family whose year income who made this beautiful carpet that you actually love is now not having income for a year. Because you knew in advance because of where they were in their society and up on the upper echelon, what this poor family who makes beautiful work but was not financially plugged in. And I'll never forget that. And it's like, no, that is not a bargain. That's stealing. You literally took a family's income for a year for your beautiful rug. You got the beautiful rug. What did they get? 
And I've, that's always stayed with me. Like, it's not so simple as what the transaction looks like. Yes. Yes. Amen. In addition to which, you have to look at the context, it seems to me, because when you are using your voice, and this is an expression of your mentality in the moment, it's one thing to be at a rug bazaar in Morocco, for example. It's quite something else when you know for a fact that you're going to be dealing with that person or those people again. You have to yes. take not only the short-term view of gain, you also need to look at the long-term view of relationships. And taking it out even with the voice dialogue perspective, then there's um, parts of us, maybe even archetypal parts that hold values. Is this, is this ethical to you to give such a hard bargain that it actually puts the family in jeopardy financially and thus maybe have food insecurity? And so I love everything you're saying. I'm just saying yes, and And then we can answer to our own higher power, whatever that is. But if integrity is important or honoring the humanness of everyone in the interaction, when we are truly fully aware of all of our wonderful selves, we can say, you know, I could get away with that, but I don't want to be the person I could leave a little money at the table because the zero sum game is not something I value that like I'm saying in different words, really what you're saying. It's about the relationship priority for many of us and, and the parts that come forward. You know, when it comes to relationships, um, I think they're some of the most difficult things that you can enter into because they are so triggering. And I think they bring up automatic reactions, being automatically defensive, being automatically angry, being automatically frustrated. You can have those reactions, especially in relationship. And the idea one possibility for um, an inner self is to have a reaction when someone says something or does something that you really don't like, but then to take a deep breath and, and say, you know, who is it that's responding? You know, is this my child responding to all of this? Is this my, my, my disempowered self responding to this. And, and I know for myself, although I can have a, a trigger where I'm offended pretty quickly, I can also come off of it really quickly in my, my wise senior years, mm -hmm. because it's like, I really don't want to go there. It's like the door opens, like, do you want to have a fight over this? And then I go, nope, I don't. And so I close the door. And I think that's part of what you can have when you are aware of your inner selves and who it is that's speaking the loudest. And do you, do you really want to give free reign? And sometimes you might, but a lot of times you might not. And you don't want to be automatic in your reaction. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So I always sometimes like to say it's a very boring goal, more conscious choice. Yeah, That's bottom line, what our awareness of ourselves gives us. But within that is freedom. And so I, I actually I will give a, an unnamed client the credit for that automatic reaction. There was a part that just wouldn't let go. But he said that 
when that thing happened that's, that triggers you, he, he liked the word reflex. So I've been using it. So it's a reflex. If I said, don't blink as I put my hand towards your eye, you couldn't, you couldn't obey me no matter how many selves wanted to not blink. But so if you think of that as a reflex, which you cannot do anything about, we have reflexes. What's next? Then you're like, whoa, I feel my rage. or I want to slap back or whatever it is, put that person down or run away, whatever our automatic reactions are. So the reflex happens and you can label it reflex, which is usually a more non-judgmental way to deal with this. And then do just what you said. I sometimes like to think of it as a constellation of selves. Oh, you know, there's Orion. There's the angry one, the sad one, the mad one. But it does. It helps separate you. And then you can make more conscious choice. No, this time I need to stand firm and make sure this person knows I'm serious and I'm not backing down or the opposite. I don't need to be right here. I actually have a schedule that I love today. I'm going to let it go and I'm going to enjoy today. Like in my work, I don't necessarily say what the right answer is or what for anyone's decision making, but to have the choice to say what, what, what's best in this moment, what resonates with my higher desires is a wonderful senior, uh, well-earned wisdom that I too share it took a while. <laughs> the book is called The Final Eighth. Enlist your inner selves. There's more than one of you in there. Enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals. The Final Eighth and all of the principles there too are the subject of our discussion with Bridget Dengel Gaspard. Always a delight when we talk to her. We need to do this more often. And we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell. Thanks for tuning in. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. Green alligators we got. Green alligators we got a plenty here in Florida. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Bridget Dangle Gaspard. She is the author of The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. This is a subject we've been talking about since her book came out four years ago. And I find it just so fascinating that we have these inner selves, we can't acknowledge them, and there is a better life by knowing that you have them and using them to good effect. Bridget, if people want to either find out about your book or about something you have going on, I think you've got something special for our listeners today, too. Why don't you tell us about that? So I thank you for that. Um and my own relationship with my inner selves, having written the book, um, has also shifted. So the book's available, both hardcover or, or as a book and also as an audio book. And just recently, I gave a keynote speaker to City University of New York system for International Women's Week. And what I focused on was the success blueprint we already have inside if we know that we have these selves, the visionary, the planner, even talking about Princeton's basketball um, strategy. It's not about warriors for them so much as planners following through. And so this idea of enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals focuses on stuckness, like which parts are for the goal and which parts are against. And in exploring that, you learn more about yourself and and let go of negative beliefs. But also, I'm just, as I'm here now for the fourth time with you, looking at the other side is choosing to develop unpracticed selves that might need some more induction. And so towards that, I have an absolutely free course on Udemy, and I'll give you the um, URL, because I really want this work out. So it's free to everybody. It introduces voice dialogue. And then I talk you through it so that you can do your DIY facilitations. So again, it's really important. It doesn't stay as a concept, but that you actually do it. And then next week on the 23rd, this is for clinicians. I'm part of the Expressive Therapy Summit and going to be teaching a one-day workshop on voice dialogue so they can add it to their toolkit. All levels welcome. So if you have experience with it, you can come as well. And continuing ed- education credits are um, offered. I know it's not. Uh, this Expressive Therapy Summit is extraordinary. And sometimes I tell people, go look at the website just to get an idea of how much creativity is starting to be used as healing tools. It's magnificent. So I'm so proud to always be a part of them. And then my website is pretty new, uh, like three days old. So there's lots of things that I don't have the actual bumps out right now, because as you put up your new website, you have to let things go. 
but I'm very excited about it. And so in my website is a new thing about how to help you identify your blueprint for success that already exists. In other words, it's not about searching what's out there. It's about what's finding in here and that there's so much power. And the last thing I'll say is what I focused on in this uh, keynote was that true leadership that's sustainable, back to that word for getting to yes, has to be that we're able to access different strengths in addition to our superheroes. If it's only about that steely strength of combat readiness, you're not a sustainable leader. You're going to burn out and you're not going to be effective. So what I love about our current times is that the real superpower is you need to go to your deep listener, your inner resilient selves. Like these are now really celebrated parts that I think say in the you know decades past, you were asked to squelch them in order to succeed. Now it's just the opposite. If you don't have a relationship to your inner empathy self, you're just not going to do as well. And frankly, I'm thrilled about that. I want to spell your website because it is your name. Yes. And the website is Bridget Dangle Gaspard. And just to give you an idea how you can find that, B-R-I-D-G-I-T, D-E-N-G-E-L-G-A-S-P-A-R-D, Bridget Dengel Gaspard. And um, I'd say go to the website and get more information about this because you do offer quite a bit on your website that people can use right away. One of the things that you uh, talk about, uh, which I think is, is like hugely valuable conversation, is that there is a part of us looking towards success that says, I want to do X in my life. I want to do this particular thing. And it might be learn a new language. It might be travel. It might be get a new job, might be leave a job, might be anything. But that there inside of you, in your inner selves, because you're not just a single one one-sided, one individual, you talk about conflicting agendas with various parts of yourself. I think that is so valuable. I come across that in my own life where there's something I want to do, but then there's another part of me that doesn't. And so it's the inner conflicts that often prevent our success. And I wanted you to say a little bit more about that. That's my pleasure. So the thing about conflicting inner agendas, right? The part of you that wants to stay and the part of you that wants to go. They're both accurate to some degree. People are trying to figure out which is the wrong one, which is the right one. And then you'll never find the answer. And that's the other thing because all of ourselves have legitimacy. They have a point. They have a gift, but they also have a sting. And one of my favorite metaphors is that alarm clock that goes off in the morning at 5 a.m. and wakes you from a deep sleep, right? We all have parts that respond. The one that says, turn that thing off. I'm going back to sleep. Angry self, the responsible one. No, no, we need to get up because we have to have things done by a certain time in a certain way. Both of those are simultaneously accurate. And if you're like, okay, They're simultaneously accurate. I do want to go to sleep. Perhaps I'm underslept and my body actually really needs it. But the truth is I made a commitment to being at this meeting and I need to get prepared for 10 a.m. 
And then the idea is that then if you're in touch with that, you can navigate what feels right in the moment, because perhaps something has to be let go of, and then you have the grieving process. But perhaps it's a matter of timing. Wait, I don't have to do that today, but I could do the second thing over the weekend or something like that. And what happens is you don't collapse. Often having this inner tug of war makes people collapse. It's painful, which it can be absolutely. And they don't feel powerful because they don't have a tool to say what's going on, which is why I tell people, write down yourselves that are involved. So if it's like, should I stay or should I go? Like say to a job or even in a relationship, these are the parts of me that want to stay. And they have a legitimate concern. It's not back to zero sum game, which one's right, which one's wrong. That's not this. Okay. My, um, my responsible fiscal self will be nervous if I leave the job, you know, my um, adventure is bored out of her mind and I've got to have a more challenging job. And you write them down just first to identify. So you take the pressure off the decision whenever possible. So if something has to be decided in two hours, okay, then that's more triage. You're like, first things first, what do we do? But if it's a big decision, let yourself what I call live the question. What parts of you have X agenda? Okay, what parts have Y agenda? All right, well, and then bringing in, since we brought in gorgeous senior wisdom, where am I in my life trajectory? Is this something that might've been fabulous at 22, but really doesn't make so much sense in this particular decade? Well, if that doesn't make sense, what does? And, and so to me, what I love about it is that it gives you freedom to really check in with what works now. And because you're in a tug of war, doesn't mean you have failed somehow. It doesn't, they, you, you don't use that as proof of your inabilities or less than status or any of those terrible core negative beliefs that just deplete motivation. No, you have inner competing agenda. Let's explore it. Let's look at the constellation of selves. Lately, I've been loving that because for some reason, I just love the idea that you can look up in the sky and see your own constellation of selves at work. And sometimes, again, just giving yourself space to not have to jump on a decision right away because we do have these parts that are like, okay, I can't handle indecision, which is why I love that. Let's live the question. Yeah, we're going to live with indecision for a minute so I can see what might be the better decision long term. And sometimes, and this is what I said in the keynote, don't just do something, sit there is the best advice to start with that. And I love that because that is not what our Western culture starts with. Don't just do something, sit there. I love that because it brings it, I've been tucked away in the back of my mind and you just opened the door, Bridget. Thank you for that. People, and we're on the radio right now. If we do as you just suggested, and of course all this is in context, there we'd be in trouble if we had dead air. We are a society that over generations has become frightened of what is known as dead air. If you watch a TV program and the thing stops for 10 seconds, you're irritated. If you listen to a radio program and you have dead air, you're going to have a light flashing in the studio that alerts you to start talking again 
But out in the real world, in real time, when you're trying to buy that car or a piece of furniture or get a raise, which terrifies a lot of people to ask for a raise, but I don't know how to do that. If you use silence strategically, you state your point, you make your claim, you make your ask, and then just saying it politely, shut up. If you say what you have to say and then stop talking, let the air hang heavy with silence because it's likely that the other person is going to jump in to fill the dead air with something that works out in your favor. I love that. Um, I once had someone say, oh, it's never your job to fill the silence. And that has helped me over the years because if you know that, then you can again, but that's a self that has to tolerate the silence that also may have to trust the natural unfolding. And that is not supported in modern Western society. You're, you're a hundred percent right about that. I, I agree. And the first time I heard of that being used by someone whom I actually know intimately was Suzanne Mitchell. Because the raise story? The raise story. You wanted yeah. a raise, and, and we all get like uh, that. We don't want to get fired because we asked for a raise. I I was due to have a, a raise and a review and all of that. And the, the woman who got me the job was a very, very sharp woman. And she said, I know you're having lunch today with your boss. And she said, uh, I know you, I've known you for years. And, and I know that you can really be a tremendous asset to this company. And she said, there's something I would like you to do at lunch today. And what she asked me to do, I could not do. She said, when he tells you how much of a raise you're getting, I want you to say, I was hoping for twice as much and not say another word. And I said to her, there's no way I can do that. I can't do that. I can't possibly do that. And I did it. I did it because she was talking in my ear at lunch. I heard her words. She was making a lot more money. She was more successful than I was. She got me this job when I was in my 20s. And so when we had our little lunch and my boss said, you know, uh, you're doing a great job. I'm really happy you're here. I want you to stay and I'm giving you X amount of dollars. I took one big deep swallow and I said, I was hoping for twice as much and didn't say another word. And I wanted to, oh, I wanted to keep talking. I wanted to justify. I wanted to say so many things. And I said nothing. And there was a very long silence before he said, well, I hope you're worth it. <laughs> yes. That was a life lesson for me. A life lesson. Wow. That he was trying to out-silence you and you won. I am. Yeah. By just being quiet. By just being also, quiet. you had, you dared your mentor inducted in you an unpracticed self. Here Absolutely. it is again. And then Absolutely. boom. Yeah. And it's almost probably talk about feeling awkward as if you were like in a movie saying a line. Okay, I got to say my line now. I was hoping more for more than uh, twice. Yes, I was hoping for twice as much. Bridget, you are exactly right. It was like I was removed. My, my self 
was removed from that situation at that restaurant lunch table where I felt like I was an actress. I was somebody else delivering that. That was another self of mine that was unpracticed and had maybe never been used. But my mentor, the woman who got me the job, suggested that I do this. And I just... I didn't know how I was not going to be me. It it yeah, was me. You. It, it was me, but it was a me that was never given rein to speak. Yeah. It's and, about and inner permission. Right. Right. Also, when we don't have access to these selves that are often unpracticed or maybe undeveloped, then we don't even get their ideas. Those selves don't even come in with their brilliance because we've no access to their brilliance. So that's the other like unintended consequence when you just continue to explore yourselves. Then a body self might say something brilliant. You're like, wow, I didn't think my body self would have such a smart uh, perspective, but you just don't know where the brilliance is going to come from. I love this story. And then you got your yes in very coded language. I hope you're worth it. That's a challenge. Yep. That's yep. a throwdown. You better be worth it. And and I was always a very hard worker, especially it was it was how I was raised. And especially in those early years, you know, I always gave more than what was being asked to prove my worth and to, you know, prove I was worth the money I was making. And and so I, I never, you know, left early or left things undone. And it was just my DNA, you know, that was one of my primary selves was to give a hundred percent or more of, of what I was being asked. So, you know, I didn't want to be seen as less than, I think that was the fear, Bridget. You know, I I didn't want somebody to say, oh, you know, she's just a slacker. She's a goof off. I never wanted that kind of a label that was just going to be more than I could bear. So I, I always had to you know, give quite a bit to my work life so that, um, and, and, and it so, worked. yeah, and it worked I mean, it's and, a I, and I was worth works. it. Yeah. Yeah. And also you said it's in my DNA and I know yep. I, we have, but we have ancestral selves. So yes. my guess is, and I'm, I'm saying, um, potentially female lineage. I'm not saying that it wasn't also in your male lineage, right? Like just work really hard, become what is, uh, just, do it so well, no one can complain. Yes. It is a yeah. type of power. And yeah. again, in terms of voice dialogue, you better have what access to that self. Now, if you never let go of that self, then you burn out. Right. In other words, right. but when you need it, like at the negotiating table, you want to have that or just simply being impeccable. Go ahead, check my notes. I'm leaving because it's time to leave, but I know I did good, whatever it is. There's so much power in impeccability. And often it's that making sure every I is dotted and T is crossed might seem a little obsessive to someone else, but it's like, no, I don't have to recheck my contracts. Go look at them. They're done well. Part of my own. That's a confidence. Right. Part of my own personal evolvement was to come to work smarter, not harder, because I I, I used to do everything the hard way. And then I would figure out a smarter, faster, better way 
And so that was like, I don't have to work so hard. I just need to produce the result. And um, and it was at the point where I was in real estate and I was working really, 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 really hard, but I wasn't making a lot of money. I was one of the low earners in, in my office. And, um, and it was this idea that I didn't have to keep working more hours. I just had to be smarter about working real estate to make more money. And it was like, okay, so I, I don't have to work, you know, 60 hours a week. I can work 30 hours a week and make a lot of money. And, and so, you know, that's, that's lessons learned, lessons yeah. learned in your life. Yeah. And then that's in terms of selves, that's allowing different selves to lead, not just your hardworking self. You're like, right. that can't just be that. It needs yes. to be the smarter self more. And also you earned it. You then had experience to say, oh, I've been here before. I'm going to do it a different way. But a right. lot of people don't right. have a flexible self that, that says, no, just because you've been doing it this way, it's the way it's done. It's like another self said, no, yes, you've been doing it this way, but is it, is it, still valuable and often the answer is no but that's where people get stuck because they don't want to deal with the newness of the unpracticed self right because it doesn't feel like me it doesn't when you're when you're doing something that doesn't feel like you i think that's the first place we go oh this isn't really me but it's like a a, a woman asking a man out you know years ago it's much more common now but, you know, years ago, that wasn't the thing to do. That was just considered a little bit too forward. But to be able to do, and I did that once when I was in my 20s, I I said, you know, it would be nice if we could, you know, just meet for a, a drink. And, and I just wanted to die because I was the one taking the initiative. And that wasn't done. And so, you know, to try and, and do that, you think, oh, that's not me. That's not me. But what I like about your book is that they're all you they're all you and some are developed and some are undeveloped and the more selves that you can be comfortable with the easier life is all the way around it's 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 easier for everybody concerned they're calling the halls brothers and the smith brothers you okay Swig yes. of water and you're fine. Thank you so much for joining us. Bridget Dengel Gaspard. The book again, The Final Eight, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. When it comes to communicating for mutual gain, didn't expect it would turn so much on negotiation, but I'm sure glad it did. Bridget, thank you so much. Let's do this again. Thank you. I look forward to it. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and have yourselves a great weekend, everyone.